we all love to put things into categories. And this might be one of the very typical human things. So that when we come across a specific product or a tool that we understand a use case for it, and then we put it in this specific box. And it's often hard for us to even see, okay, maybe if it fits to this use case, it can fit to another use case as well. And this is a little bit the, the theme of this episode where I talk with Adam and John from Amplitude about Amplitude, but also like about the analytics space in general and about what it is about product analytics and what are the borders or like the boundaries of product analytics and maybe it's it's even something totally different and even in the end we, we come to to the modern data stack which is like also discuss a lot and so we, we put everything trying to put everything a little bit into perspective and so how it can work together and how it can act together and this was for me a really interesting discussion because John comes from a very classic product and also product analytics background and Adam comes from a very classic marketing analytics background and to hear both sharing their views on specific topics and how they extend each other in these kind of views and thoughts they have about it you, you immediately understand that we we don't really talk about product analytics or marketing analytics or customer analytics or i don't know i mean we, we are introducing a lot of new analytics categories at the moment so the, i think the latest for me was revenue analytics and so the interesting thing is like these we, we then try to see these as categories and put tools into this and so for example of course i mean i still do it a little bit like that i say amplitude is a product analytics tool but i also see it like i use it in customer analysis i'm i'm basically using it as a full analytics platform for steering for example a software as a service company and so of course it has some product parts in it but it's usually like it's it's uh, it's everything so all events and processes that happen within this company we put into amplitude and this fits quite good where both basically describe that they basically experience the same things uh, with the clients that Amplitude use. And so that's like, of course, you have different kind of use, you have use cases for, for product teams, you have use cases for growth teams, so where, where you might look at two different things. And then, of course, like you also have use cases for marketing teams. And it's, it doesn't stop there that marketing teams say, okay, I don't know, I cannot work with these kind of tools because they can. And I think maybe it's it's now a time that we we are leaving this kind of categories of saying okay we have a specific analytics tool for a specific team and more like analytics tool for specific kind of type of work and so for me like amplitude is basically a the data backbone for approaches where you work a lot with experimentation and with hypothesis and then, then you implement and then you test and then, then you check your base numbers and you check the specific numbers for this kind of new feature, what kind of brings. So these kind of way to work. Or if you look into product-led growth where you say, okay, basically um, the, the free plan or the free trial becomes an extension of our marketing. And so it's like it's an initial stage 
uh, before people end up using heavily our product. And so when to handle data in this kind of setup, you need a more holistic approach. And you, you I think in the end, it comes to the point where you need other mechanisms. So you need deeper funnel, funnel analysis, you need deeper cohort analysis. And so this is interesting because like the, also like the, the story or the history of Amplitude uh, represents this. So this, you will see this is like a, a really a theme throughout this episode. And another thing is like, which I think is something that you should listen to is like, the emphasis on really start with simple examples. I mean, everyone in the data world is telling this, but I mean, I think we, we can't tell it enough and enough. So to really like, don't do too much in the beginning, start small, make your first successes. So create your first setups that basically really change decisions just based on the data that, that you have collected. And so, and then build on top of that. Don't try to achieve a super perfect setup from, from day one. So this is something that comes up too. So I really hope you, you enjoy and you really like this episode. I enjoyed it a lot. And so have fun listening to it. The time when analytics was simply Google Analytics is over now. Today, you can build your analytics stack out of over 50 different tools and new ones are coming in every month. Each of them has its benefits, but also limitations. Finding the right analytics stack has become quite a complex task that includes decisions about architecture, use cases, data ownership, performance, and lastly, legal aspects. This podcast tries to give you more context about the different options you have by talking to leading people from different analytics companies. I'm trying to give you insights about the tools, the strategies, and the learnings that can help you set up a good analytics stack. Welcome, Adam and John. Um, great to have you here. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Excellent. So it's, it's, it's really cool to have both of you because um, today uh, we want to talk a little bit about Amplitude on the one hand and on the other hand about product analytics. And what I like is like, I mean, John, I think you are the one of the best persons to talk about product analytics, but Adam is, is an interesting part because he basically sits in between. So coming from the, let's say the, the all purpose, mostly maybe marketing analytics world. So you can really serve as a translator between both worlds because like, uh, this is one of the goals that I want to achieve with this is really like to, to help people to understand, well, there's something beyond let's say Google Analytics, which most people know, and also like beyond Adobe Analytics and all the different kinds of tools that most people know. So to understand, uh, okay, what makes the difference and when is maybe a good case for me? And so what I would like to start with something. So this is a question for both of you. Can you remember when you heard about Amplitude for the first time, when this was in which kind of context? Well, it's interesting. The first time I heard about Amplitude, I was working at a company called Pendo. Pendo does sort of in-app guidance, like overlays and onboarding widgets and different things to kind of help you drive maybe adoption to features or educate people within the product. There is a little bit of a measurement component, but it's primarily to help that in-app guidance. And I remember at the time we were sitting there and I was just looking at an early, early, early version of the Amplitude site. And 
it suddenly clicked with me a thousand percent that this was an exact problem I had had in a previous company <laughs> in terms of the type of measurement. You know, in the past, we had kind of cobbled together systems to do event-based analytics and product, or we had sort of used products like New Relic in the wrong way, or we had done a lot of things. And it was, I saw what they were doing and it immediately clicked to me okay, this company is onto something and it solves a very important problem. Uh, also for some context, I had been the Google Analytics guy at a B2B SaaS company. And so I was familiar with Google Analytics at the time and, and had a lot of challenges there using it to answer product-oriented questions. Uh, so anyway, it was a, a couple factors at once. I was working at a somewhat similar company. I saw this particular product and said, okay, they've they've hit the mark in terms of what problem we have. And then it also brought back memories from my job right prior to that when I was responsible for analytics and customer insights to an extent. So that was the first time I heard about Amplitude. It's probably you know six, eight years ago now at the moment. So for me, it's been much more recent. I grew up in the Omniture slash Adobe Analytics world, uh, spent a lot of time there. And over the last couple of years, I've been seeing that digital experiences were getting much more complex and a lot more of the of my customers were doing things in mobile apps and I started hearing kind of some gripes about whether Adobe and Google were really like the best solution for tracking apps and then a lot of my customers would start using either Adobe or Google Analytics on the website but then I kept hearing this word amplitude like yeah they're using amplitude on the mobile app and I did some research and I had been familiar with Mixpanel many years ago, actually did some consulting with them. But the companies who I was working with were really enjoying using Amplitude on the mobile app. And I just kept hearing it over and over. And I think for me, I was starting to realize how important mobile apps were. The other thing that jumped out at me is when I looked at companies that I admired, like Twitter and DoorDash and Peloton, I would think... Why are these companies not using Google Analytics? Why are they not using Adobe Analytics? And it seemed like the companies that were most advanced were using product analytics like Amplitude and just kind of piqued my interest to learn a little bit more, which kind of ended up with me talking to people and ended up with me joining Amplitude. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting because, and especially, John, what you just said is like, so trying to use Google Analytics or, or Adam, what you said, like you're having customers who are trying to use the, the more all-purpose tools to do product analytics, which is, from my experience, I can tell the same story. So it's uh, it was the same origin story why I started to look into, into MT2 as well. So I knew them from the mobile world. And then I was super happy that basically they ventured over to web as well and so that I can use it there as well. Uh, maybe... A question for you, John, to what do you think? So how would you describe today for people who only know Google Analytics, what makes the difference uh, when you use um, a tool like Amplitude? Sure. There's two primary differences. One, you are going right down to the user level in terms of thinking about tracking events. So the best way I could describe it is Maybe you've used Amplitude or not, but there is a screen literally in Amplitude that you go on it, you find a particular user, and then you see the precise series of events that you've tracked for that user. 
And if they've jumped between mobile and web, you actually see the identifiers that have been merged, <laughs> both from when they were anonymous to when they were maybe a logged in user. And you see a stream of specific events. And if I could show it to you, maybe we can share a screenshot you know, after the, the podcast, but that, yeah, that's sure. the number one thing. So if you think about it, you know, here I was at a company in a B2B SaaS company and I was, oh, okay, I've got some browser information from GA and I kind of know what pages they're looking at, but I desperately as a UX researcher wanted to be able to go and narrow down to one person <laughs> and the stream of events that they were using across different devices. So that's number one. So I would say very, very, very deterministic user ID level, combining those identities between different sort of touch points into that single stream of events, number one difference. The second primary difference is it's, it's related, but is this idea of very crisp deterministic events you know, play song, do the, you know, the, you're, you're tracking actions versus necessarily always tracking details about the interface or what you're doing. You know, for example, if someone does a page view, what does a page view actually mean? <laughs> what is a page view? Is it the page starts to load? Is it the, this is Adam's world and you're all's world. But for me as a product person, it's like, did the page start to load? Did it actually load? What did the people see? Do they have 17 browser tabs open? Like what the heck is going on? Page view means nothing to me as a product person. Yeah. What means something to me is maybe they scrolled or maybe they hovered or maybe they tried to submit their form in a specific way, or maybe what are these specific events. And if, so this is event-based analytics. What are the specific events that happened? And those two differences, the human being and, and the sort of resolution of different identities to get a specific stream of events, and then the events themselves, to me, are what distinguish product analytics. We can talk more about you know the goals of product managers, but from a semi-technical level, that's to me, is the difference. Yeah. I mean, I can just build upon that, Timo. So I come at it from a marketing world. And, you know, a lot of people who are like me, we're focused on how do people get to a digital property, a website or an app? How do we figure out how to get them to buy more, fill out a form if you're in B2B? And I think the mindset of the digital marketer is I, I'm looking to connect with customers, get new customers, and and I'm using the website or the the app to figure out how do I market better, how do I make a better kind of experience for those users, all of which you can do in Amplitude as well. But that's really where kind of the Google Analytics started. And Google Analytics actually really started just as a way to show companies their churn on ad spend so that Google could make more money in, in advertising. But I think the mindset of someone who's using Amplitude is more, I, I'm, I look at a website or an app as a product and yes, I, I want to help my company and have them make more money and get people to do more actions and conversions. But I think the product mindset seems to be more, what I'm learning from people like John is, I'm going to make a better app. And if I make a better app, then my need for marketing goes down. If you think about Slack, Slack didn't initially do a lot of advertising and marketing. They just had a kick-ass app 
and it just spread virally. And I think the the people who use Amplitude, a lot of them are focused on how do I use data to try new features, new functions, new workflows? How do I make the app experience better? And that will then help me get more customers. And I think the marketers that I work with a lot are more, how do we use data to figure out how efficient our advertising is. And when we drive someone from advertising, where are they falling out before they do the thing that I want to do? So that's one big difference. But I also think another perspective that I've heard from a number of customers is that they feel like a Google Analytics or in any marketing analytics tool is really focused on the short term which is I get them to the site, I get them to convert, get them to fill out a form. And the people who I've spoken to since I've joined Amplitude are really much more focused on the long-term retention. How are we, are we getting them to come back every week, every month, every year, and look at more of the long-term value that the digital property is providing? The marketers that I work with tend to be a little bit more short-term focused. And so I think a lot of that is represented in the features. For example, if you look at retention reporting in Amplitude, it's there's like 30 different reports you could do for retention reporting. In you know Google and Adobe Analytics, there's one or two. So you could kind of see the emphasis of each type of technology by the users who use it and really what they wake up in the morning caring about and what do they want to use that product. The confusing part is that a lot of the products are about 85 to 90% similar. They both have funnels, flows, segments, cohorts. And so it is confusing, but when you peel back the layers, it actually, the products can be very, very different. That's that's really interesting because what I just started to think is like, at the moment we, I basically, when I, when I explain Amplitude to people who didn't know it or really never have heard about it. So I usually use the term product analytics. And I think it was I just was researching because I was writing a blog post about the history of product analytics. And I got, went back with the Wayback Machine. I saw in 2016, you basically introduced it on the website. So called it product analytics. So I would really like to, to, to learn, okay, how, how was this created? And so where came the idea from to do that? And the other thing is like what I really would to dive into, because you just mentioned it, in the end, when we look at retention and so on, so I mean, Amplitude is covering, I guess, even more than just looking at a product. So it's more like, so for example, in some cases, I, I say, okay, it's basically a customer analytics, because as you just said, so I, I can follow up interactivities and events from a customer, and it can be an e-commerce case, so where maybe product is not so much in the front line, that I can even there can, can use a let's say, a really long lifetime where I can really follow up what they are doing with their best. So so on the one hand, how do you came up with product analytics? And on the other hand, do you think that it's too small, this kind of term? So is it maybe even more, but it's, it's just really hard to describe it in one term? I looked at the Wayback Machine too, and it is fascinating. I'm just doing it from memory at the moment. But the first version of Amplitude was mobile analytics. And then I think yeah. a year or two later, it was like when your app takes off. So then it was starting to relate to more of the things about like your product is growing really quickly. How are you keeping those customers? And then you see the first thing of when your app takes off on the mobile and the web. <laughs> yeah. And then when the next year, point, yeah. yeah, the next year we sort of moved into product analytics. One thing very curious on Adam's thoughts on this too 
this this problem with words, it happens to us all the time at Amplitude. I mean, one of our most successful customers is Anheuser-Busch and they're using Amplitude to kind of, they have a whole wholesale ecosystem and they're building these apps. And if you ask them, what's the product? They would say, beer, I guess. You know, it's Anheuser-Busch, right? (laughs) But the idea of, you know, we've always had this, I'm not going to say love-hate, but we've always had this difficult thing with the, the version of product. We said product analytics and we tried product intelligence. And now we've landed on this thing called digital optimization, digital optimization system to solve the problem you just speak about. Now, is it perfect? No. It's actually a little bit difficult to describe, <laughs> but but the challenge that we've had is it is bigger than just what normally people would think about product. I mean, anywhere there's a digital experience where people are actively trying to optimize that experience for sustainable growth and differentiated growth, and where engineers and designers are people, you know, expensive people <laughs> are making decisions that just that are more than just a funnel or should we put an article about sports or an article about whatever, like they're really thinking about the interactivity of what they're doing and the kind of viral loops and retention loops and all that. Anywhere that happens, there's an opportunity for what we're calling digital optimization. And then there's an opportunity for amplitude. So yeah, we've been, it's been a journey for us in terms of the words. I mean, product analytics just sort of made sense because what are these people? They're product managers and they're building products. So we call it product analytics, but you can see it can be a little bit genre defined <laughs> as we've been building out. But what I would say to in general now when I'm doing talks, it's basically if you have designers, developers, data scientists, analysts, and product people, and they are trying to optimize and design a digital experience for sustainable, differentiated, longer-term impacts, like they're building something, to, they're building an engine of growth of some kind, it doesn't matter whether you're Anheuser-Busch or you're two people trying to, I don't know, sell burritos by drone or something like that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that, then that's an opportunity for, th- this is where this type of analytics shines. So is it the perfect word, digital optimization? Probably not, but it's the best we have because it is literally optimizing digital experiences. Yeah, I think it's really complicated and this is something we wrestle with internally at, at Amplitude <laughs> all the time, but I like to give examples as a way to explain it. And I think a good example that I was thinking of the other day is, let's imagine you're an e-commerce, either website or app, and you have a product detail page. On that product detail page, there's a couple different things. You've got some features, like maybe it's a clothing item, so you can do a 360-degree view, or there's a bunch of features that could be there. And that would probably be like a product team that is saying, listen, if, if you're telling me that this is, even though I'm in a browser, like my goal is to get them to buy more stuff. And, and that's, a, that's one of the tasks I'm trying to get people to do. I can figure out ways to try different features that will help get more people to do that. I think that's a, I, I would put the product hat on if they're working on that. But then on the same exact page, there could be maybe different pictures of people using the product. There could be different content. There could be a video that that creates some sort of emotional connection that gets people to buy the product. And I don't know that product people 
would really care about like which video is shown. They would say, hey, oh, you want to be able to show a video of someone using the product? Like, okay, I will make that happen as a product person. Which video you're putting there? Honestly, the people I've talked to in the product, like that's not their area. Like that's marketing. So I think what's unique is that on the same page of a website, you could have marketers saying, we want to maybe think about the layout. We want to maybe think about the content, the imagery, all that stuff. And they're still using data to figure out how often are people using the 360 degree. And I think in that area, they share a common question with product, but I think they both have different goals. I mean, their goal is to, to get people to buy more, but they come at it from different tactics. And so that's where I, I think thinking of it that way, they would both want data about how that page is converting, but they might do different types of analyses. Like the marketer might say, I'm going to do an A-B test and show different copy and see how that helps me to get people to buy this product, just like a product person might try different versions of a feature. So I think the name kind of trips people up. And since so many digital properties are kind of being treated like products, I think you're going to see in the next couple of years a convergence of marketing analytics, product analytics, experimentation, CDP, and maybe even experience analytics for those who like to watch like session replays. And I think those five technologies are all going to merge in the next couple of years. And I think there'll be a couple vendors that basically offer all five of those completely integrated so that you can watch people use your site. You can do a test on them. You can do marketing and product analytics, and you have a profile in which you can see everything about a user like John talked about earlier. That's really interesting because it basically um, touches one area that, at least in the projects that I'm doing, is always a little bit hard to to find a way how to approach this because when you just take it from the product angle and, and say, because I think in most of the projects that I'm doing, I never have this to do something just for the product team because, I mean, especially the content example is a great example because in the end, this already brings in a, a team that usually maybe is not even, let's say, is often overlooked um, in, in these kind of analytics areas where you always look into marketing or product on the other side. But there, I mean, there are different kind of teams that need some kind of input on the data and, and to bring this together. But one thing that I was still figuring out is like, how, how do you basically, for example, how do you put marketing activities into that? So let's assume, okay, you have an application and so... The, the start is easy. So in the end, you, you have some marketing act, uh, activities and people will sign up for your service. So let's assume you're a software as a service. People will go into the sign up. So then you can say, okay, this kind of campaign brought them to this. But for example, under this whole notion of product-led growth, which I think will definitely be a very significant part in the next years, you might combine not just product activities where people do an onboarding or some other stuff, but you might also include external communication, bring people back to motivate them. And I always sometimes had a hard time to bring this all together. So do you have some ideas how you can, how you can bring external marketing activities and product activities over a full journey together? Yeah, I'll take a first habit. This one, just because since I come yeah, from a marketing background, and then I'll hand it over to you, John. But like, I think the key is how are you getting the product 
and marketing teams to collaborate together. And I think that's why product-led growth is so interesting because a marketer can easily say, oh, my goal is to drive them over to a product, like a SaaS product, get them to try it. And once they're trying the product, one of the unique things about product-led growth is you could actually see and get data on how engaged they are, what parts of the product they're using. Imagine if you don't have a product-led growth offering. Basically, your customers are going to go out to G2 Crowd, other Gartner, Forrester. They're going to go to these places. You're not going to see any of that. You have no idea about the research they're doing. But if you have product-led growth, then you actually have a, a chance to watch them using your product, identify the ones that are really banging on your product, who are probably the ones who are enjoying it, see, educate them and say, hey, it looks like you've only used these parts of the product, not these, can proactively educate them. So I think that that's really powerful. And I think the other thing is that if product and marketing can work together, the product teams have insight into which parts of the product people really gravitate towards. And if they can communicate that to the marketers, then the marketers can then build the right copy, the right advertising. And let's say your product had 10 features, but only two of them are actually ever used. Well, you probably want to promote those two features because that's what people really seem to like. Um, The other thing that's interesting is the product people know which customers are really successful and not successful, but they oftentimes don't know where they came from. But if you can connect how you found each customer, then you could figure out in the product, which are your best customers, the prototypical ones, your best personas, and then go backwards and say, where are we finding the people who tend to be most successful? But if you just, if there's a, if there's a separation between product and marketing, that becomes very difficult. So I don't know if I don't know if I answered all of your question, but those are some of the first things that popped in my head when I heard you speak. Yeah, from my perspective, this is the reality actually for many product teams. They often treat marketing and these efforts at outreach like emails, in-app messages, kind of targeting. They often treat that with a little bit of disdain. And I'm being honest <laughs> in the sense that it's very easy for product teams to be pretty heads down and say, well, we control the experience and we're just going to make this amazing product and everything's going to work out to do that. And then, you know, the funny part about that is, is then when marketing does something that's a little bit not very targeted, product waves its hands and says, oh my goodness, how could you send that message? That's annoying. People don't want to sign up for a, you know, a PDF, you know, why do you do that? (laughs) And so the funniest part to me about this is that both sides of this particular equation, I think have to build a little bit of humility and then build the bridges across to the other side. So if you think about a product as everything a company does, every touch point, every experience, every from you know the video ads onto the copy in the email onto the you know just to use the specific example you know you see the a brand ad for a great SaaS product and then you see another brand ad and then you go to the website and then you start the free trial and then you get that email afterwards and then you get a second email and then they reach out to you to do coaching with you and then a salesperson contacts you and then you're using the product and then you're using templates that the company provides to you saw an ad like oh we do user generated content and here's some templates you can use to me if product people could see that all is the product 
And as, if marketing people could embrace the idea that it's really just one experience, it's a seamless experience, and every piece of copy counts and every opportunity to use data is a, is a great opportunity. I think that, you know, a lot of companies could do a lot better with what they're doing. If you see the companies that are really good at this, someone like a HubSpot or similar, you really don't, you don't think to yourself as a customer, aha, this is the org chart of the company or, oh, okay, now I'm in the sales pipeline or, oh, now they're just retargeting me with ABM everywhere. And, you know, you don't perceive that you are dealing with these different parts of the company. You perceive that you're dealing with a group of people who care about your experience and making you really successful with the product. So not too much more to add than what Adam said, but I was just bringing up the point that this is really like a cultural issue for many companies and it involves product people being more open to the idea that all this messaging and stuff is an extension of the product. And it also means that marketing folks need to stop imagining that they're just kind of dropping people into a product or an experience. So it really involves a a shift in mindset from both parties uh, to be successful. Yeah, I I really like the example with that you don't really feel that the whole journey comes from different parts. I immediately had images in my head of journeys where it was like that, where you immediately thought, oh yeah, okay, (laughs) thanks God. Now I'm this kind of journey. And this is nice because there are really like companies where you always I don't know, you always feel that they take care of you in some kind of way, even when it's external communication and so on. Yeah, this is really interesting. But it brings up something because you you mentioned culture. And one of my struggles until today is like to get product teams into data. So I'm a product person myself. So I started in product. Uh, I basically have the same experience like you had, John. Like I started out with GA because... I wanted to have some some other aspects when it comes to product usage. Instead, at that time, we were just talking about stuff or just looking at competition, what they were doing. So I wanted to add different dimensions to product decisions. But this, I don't know, was 12, 13 years ago. But even today, I find a lot, especially like, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit more Europe thing, but I always find it sometimes complicated to to find the right, how to say it, to find the right start for product teams to work with data. So they, they work often with qualitative data. So they do a lot of interviews, they do surveys and so on. So this is definitely something that is more natural to them. But to really apply quantitative data or behavioral data seems to be a huge step. So do you both have good ideas or good experiences how to basically start out with a product team to use more data? Yeah, I'll take a stab at this. I think I I see it as a journey. And I'll tell you the number one problem, and you've probably experienced this, is that people imagine that they will come to either a consultant or read a book And we'll get a list of every single metric they should quote unquote track. And it will answer every single question that they have. And they will find the magic metric that determines the success of their business. And they'll be able to compare themselves against every single competitor. And all their questions will be answered. And that is not what the journey looks Mm. like. (laughs) That's not what it looks like. The way that the journey looks like, we sort of have a couple of stages. We think about it in amplitude. And the first stage is just situational awareness. Can you count things in a way 
that you can wake up and walk into work each morning and see a count, literally just a count, of what happened yesterday, and you trust it. And maybe a couple of general industry standard metrics that at least that you kind of know, you, you can start to get a sense of what your product's doing. But at this point, the product teams are not necessarily even acting on that information. They're just building a sense of what's happening. And then the next step for a lot of teams is they start to make their first journey into the idea of having a little bit of a hypothesis, you know, like, okay, we're going to use the data to try, oh, that's the weak spot right there. It looks like we should focus there and building something. And even at that point early on, the idea of doing experiments or A-B tests or anything, that's pretty advanced. Yeah. <laughs> we're just talking in the beginning, you use the data to figure out where the problem area is and maybe a little bit of the data to think about how you build your feature and you release it. And even if it's just a linear regression, like even if it's just not correct by anyone's standards, but you're just starting to build that muscle. And then what happens is they start speeding up that loop over and over. They get better at determining where to prioritize their work. They get using data. They use data more effectively to design their experiment. And they get better at understanding causality, for lack of a better word, in terms of what they're shipping and did it have the impact? Did it have any adverse impacts, etc.? And that flywheel spins up faster and faster and faster and faster until they get to the point where this is sort of like a Netflix or something like that. But I just want to make that point that initially people think that this is some immediately, you know, you go to the doctor, they tell you to take a medicine, you take the medicine and you're fine. For a company, it could even take a year of just seeing the counts of things to even know what questions to ask. <laughs> People imagine that you can start with all the perfect questions and folks like Adam are very good at listing all the questions you should be asking, but it could take a year of just sort of thinking about what the heck is happening, even to start getting a sense of as a product team, how you might start thinking about designing experiments and understanding the impact of your work. So it is a journey. Yeah. And I mean, I defer to John on all things product, but I have noticed that there's a lot of things that are similar between product and my old kind of marketing analytics world. And so I'll share just a couple things that I think have been really helpful in my world that I think might also be applicable. So John mentioned kind of figuring out the questions that people have, and it could take a long time. One of the ways that I've always started, like when I worked with companies like e-commerce sites, they would say, Adam, you know, we've all this data in Adobe or Google Analytics. We don't know where to start. And I'd say, you know what? Why don't you start from the most important thing to you and work backwards? And so let's say you're an e-commerce site. You, you have orders and you have people who are on the checkout page, which is right before the order. And I would say, let's just understand something really basic. What percentage of the people get to the checkout page, which is basically them walking up to a counter in a physical world, holding products, <laughs> and then looking at the ca the person in the cashier and saying, you know what, I'm going to leave. So that's the digital representation of that. And so I'd say, well, why don't we see if you're only, if you let's say you're losing 30%, you're only converting 30% from checkout to order. What could be a reason and how could you, you look at data 
or maybe just kind of watch people using the site or do a focus group and try to figure out what are the top five reasons why people are getting to checkout but not purchasing. Now, you may not know and you may have to experiment to come up with hypotheses, but that is the immediate thing you can do to get value from data. And you can see a tangible result. If you can shift that by 5%, you can quantify how much that is. And if you fix that to the point where you think there's not that many, you kind of got diminishing returns, then you can take one step backwards and say, how many people are adding to cart, but not making it to checkout and kind of work backwards from your most important conversion event. And that's something that whenever I had people who were really like having an existential analytics situation, I'd say, let's go back to the basics. And and that's an easy way to kind of figure out how data is helping you and help you come up with questions. The other thing that I'd recommend is that companies go through their products and look at it screen by screen. And just a lot of times these products are built in silos and, and just kind of look at it as one fluid experience. And this is a weird thing that happened to me. When I worked at Salesforce, I knew our website, you know, pretty well and I did analytics on it. And then I left Salesforce and I became a customer and I started using the Salesforce website as a customer myself. And I re- I recognized things that I never realized when I was an employee. I was like, wow, this is really dumb. Like as a customer, I want to find this and I don't, I can't find that because I never looked for that. And so I think part of it is putting yourself in the shoes of your customer which is really hard to do. And sometimes what I would do is take a friend or a family member and ask them to use an app or a website that I was working on for a client and say, your goal is to do this. Go show me how you do it and just watch them doing it. And it's just amazing what you can learn and how many questions you could probably get 20 questions that you want to answer with data by just doing a simple exercise like that. I I like this because, um, I, I, I had the same experience quite some time and, uh, and, I think it's true. And I think one thing that you both have mentioned that that I think maybe so I, I do I did data consulting now for some years. And I I was helping companies to set up, let's say, the initial tracking. Yeah, so like what what should what should we measure in the end? And I think we are a little bit guilty that we didn't follow what you just described because companies were asking us, okay, yeah, we want to do we want to analyze our product. And so I, for example, went in and say, yeah, let's measure. So let's make sure that we measure the product. And so we went into each kind of feature and we're adding tracking events to them. And we did it in a full bulk. So basically bigger products could be 30, 40 events. And it always overwhelmed the teams. And I think and w- what you just described is, is really interesting because like, in the past, we always thought, okay, we have to bring something for, for our money that they, they are giving us. And so we have to produce a lot of quantity. But in the end, I think it's a wrong approach. I think it would be even better to sketch out a, a roadmap over 12 months and say, okay, this is where we start. It's pretty easy. We start with one or two things and then go from there. But I guess, what do you think? So is it a good idea to basically say, okay, we map out all our product in the first place? Adam and I have fun debates about this. I'll give the 30, 30 second <laughs> okay. thing. I really like what Adam just said about exploring the journey and what people are doing in the product because I think there is an 80-20 rule here definitely in effect. Instrumentation by itself is not terribly engineering intensive. Like adding two lines of code or whatever is not the hard part. The hard part is someone having an opinion on and making some decisions on 
what generally matters. So what I would say is a little bit more pragmatic. Like I think doing activities like what Adam is saying, exploring the product, customer journey activities, maybe a little bit of what we call question storming, which is like project yourself a year into the future and say, you know, what are these things that matter and work kind of backwards, like Adam was saying. I think that if you time box those activities and don't make a huge, you know, six month project of it, but more like make a week long mm-hmm. project of it, I think you can get the sort of 80 to 90% of the events that matter and then start the process of learning and kind of going through that particular loop. But I think that Um, Yeah, that's my perspective, at least. I think that you're able with these lightweight activities like Adam mentioned or stuff that I mentioned, or you're able to get most of the way there without seeking ultimate perfection uh, in what you're doing. Yeah. And one thing that John wrote uh, that helped me with, and and I think it was either, I think I put it in a blog post because I loved it so much is John and I had this discussion one time where we were talking about a lot of people complain about instrumentation and how long it takes. And he said, you know, the way I look at it, there's only three levels of data you want to collect. And I love this model is he called level zero, which are like your most immediate metrics and data points. And and those shouldn't change ever unless literally you're, mm-hmm. you're pivoting your whole business. And then you've got kind of level one, which are ones that are pretty important, but they're probably, you know, maybe you would change them annually if you know it's like once you learn something but it's it's something maybe it needs to live on maybe it doesn't and there shouldn't be a ton of those and then you've got this level two which are the annoying questions you get all the time which is it always starts with the phrase so and so is curious or just wants to quickly know how many people fill in the blank and those are items that can be implemented you could probably get a week or two of data and then you can kill it and when i see analytics implementations that have hundreds of data points a lot of times it's because they're letting those level twos live on forever and the joke i have with my wife is it's like you know she goes out and buys three new outfits and throws them in the closet and i said you know if you keep putting new things in the closet but you never get rid of any clothes like eventually physics physics is going to win out and we're going to run out of closet space so let's you know people tend to like not get rid of variables and data points but they like to add new ones and i think if your listeners like think about it in that level zero one and two i think you should really be stringent on what are your level zeros and be pretty strict on your level ones and then level twos you can go crazy as long as you kind of tag them and kill them off Yeah, put an expiration date on it also. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Okay, I, I have a final one, and this is like an, an overrated, underrated thing. And so I maybe just quickly, if, if how this relates to Amplitude. So modern data stack, do you think overrated or underrated? Or what we call the modern data stack at the moment. Oh, I, I think it's just a function of so many really interesting players mm-hmm. kind of both bundling and unbundling something that's been happening for a while. And so I think that the dialogue about it is very productive because it gets people thinking about kind of all the parts of the pipeline and the puzzle. I think that because it's sort of changing every quarter, here's my tip, and I've learned this about modern rock (laughs) or anything that used the postmodern anything. The minute you use the word modern, you're cursing something. Right. So the modern is always the most modern. (laughs) So I would just advise, you know, advise people to think you're going to have to struggle with the word modern (laughs) all the time. So, but I think that the conversation is great. And I think all the players 
talking about unbundling and bundling up the space is forcing really important conversations about like what we're trying to accomplish. So I think that's the best part about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give my two cents. I don't love the term modern data stack, but I, I will tell you there's a couple things that I'm seeing happen that I think are converging. One is a lot of companies used to be in this world of, I'm going to just go to one vendor for everything. And whether that was Adobe or Salesforce or, you know, basically just go to a vendor and say, here, I'm take my money and I'm going to use you for everything. I think people are slowly growing tired of that model because you end up with not the best, you know, solution in each of these areas. Plus, it gets tricky because you lose a lot of pricing power. You, it's hard to negotiate when they have when you're using five of their products. Like, where are you really going to go? But I also think the other factor that's happening is it's becoming so much easier to send data back and forth through APIs and Amazon S3 and all this stuff and databases like Snowflake and stuff. Like, I think it's just becoming easier that people are feeling more empowered that they can put the two or three products they really like together and it's not a year-long project like it used to be. So I think that's another reason why people are gravitating to that. But then I also see some companies are going to the extreme and they're basically like, well, why do we need any vendor whatsoever? We can do all this ourselves. And yes, you can. But I think the problem with that is that now, in addition to running your business, you are now choosing to be in the digital analytics business And you're basically like, I mean, Amplitude and Adobe and Google, you know, they spent years building these products and I know they look easy to use, but there's a lot of database and queries and logic behind there. And I don't know why people would want to build their own when, you know, now you're just basically putting yourself in a second business that you don't get any revenue for. You Maybe you save a little bit of money, but I would argue that for most companies, if they build everything on their own, they're probably spending more on internal resources than they probably would just trusting a vendor who they can yell at and they can get support from and so on. So, But I do think those three things, the the walking away from the, the all-in-one, becoming easier to integrate, and some people going a little crazy and deciding maybe we don't want to build our own is making what I think is bringing this kind of term of modern data stack together. Yeah. Very good final words, both of you. Thank you so much for sharing so many insights. That was, there were a lot of interesting, there's really a lot of interesting pictures and, and stories that you had that even like for me, explain some stuff that I can pick up in the next conversations that I have with people about setups that I can use. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you found some stuff that was interesting, maybe even new, maybe trigger some further thoughts um, in your head so that maybe gives you a new perspective on a specific topic. At least this is what I'm always loving about podcasts. So it triggers my brain to do crazy new things. And I am um, hope you found something interesting um, in this episode as well. So one important thing, if you have any kind of questions about the tools we are discussing in this podcast, any kind of questions about tracking setups in general, how you should approach a specific kind of problems, or even if you say, I don't have really an idea what kind of tracking setups make sense for my business, for the current situation that it's in, um, just reach out to me. So this is pretty easy. So on the one hand, you can all go over to LinkedIn and you can type in my name, you can find me and you can just write me a message. 
that's one way and the other way is like you can also go on our website deepskydata.com and there is um, a, a button um, that you can set up a call so you can click it you can schedule 30 minutes with me and these 30 minutes are always free so um, no obligations it's just like it's 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 not a sales call so it's really like you can put in your question you can put in your problems where you're basically stuck so i can pr present you maybe one or two ideas how I would approach these kind of topics and that's it so I'm, I mostly want really want to help here uh, to to basically unblock you and give you some new ideas so uh, if that's something for you don't hesitate just reach out um, this will be super fun to do um, and I see you in the next episode <laughs>